It's good to be with you. If my wife was here, I would bow. But she's not here. She's with her family. I did a memorial, part of a memorial service yesterday for my brother-in-law. Said goodbye. And it was uh, very emotional. So I've been worshiping a lot and crying a lot, thanking the Lord for the blessings of my son and his ministry here. Uh, my other son just came home, you know, from Papua New Guinea with his wife and kids. God's really blessing them. And my other son-in-law, who I call my son, Ray, I speak at his church next week on the rapture of the church. I'm busy. I'm too old for this. But anyway, you guys are youthful. And this is really a message I spoke at camp years ago, and I put a little title on the top of it. I said, one day I will share this with Elisha's church. And I showed it to Elisha. He was amazed four years ago that I saved a message. And it's changed. It's not the same. It was for believers then, individuals. But it really is about individual believers. And it's about the hope of a nation. So I'd like you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll talk about the importance of a family. And the introduction to this is really Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3. Let me just read it to you. But let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time you've given to us, Lord. I pray you'd bless this congregation as you have over the years. We know how COVID affected our country church, Father. We know how it's affected everyone. Father, we just pray that we would be faithful to you. Churches would remain open no matter what the future holds, Father, that we would not be woke or politically correct. We would be biblically correct. We ask your blessing today on this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read this together. Now, this is the commandment, verse 1, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your father, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll notice Moses is going to teach the people, and I'm just checking the time to make sure that I can do what I'm supposed to do, because I'm disobedient. I usually go longer, so I've got to be obedient. And you know what? The more water I used to have, the longer I went. So what they started to do is give me a little cup. So I'm just warning you, okay? This is, this is the idea. You do it. You, you teach it, you do it, you fear, you keep, and you keep doing it, and it's about the Word of God. Teach, Moses, the Word of God to your people. Ground them in the Word of God. Make sure it's to your son. Make sure it's an inheritance to grandsons, to the future of Israel. Important for the family, but important that this is an individual thing that affects an entire nation. He goes on to say that your days may be prolonged in the land. In the New Testament, the fifth commandment says that you may live long on the earth. You'll have a long life, I believe, if you obey Christ. And that's, there's always the exception to the rule, but I still believe that with all my heart. 
Listen, O Israel. This is a national thing, but as we're going to see, it's an individual thing. The principle, there's one God. Principle, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh, the self-existent eternal God, Exodus 3.14. But God, Elohim, meaning not singular or dual, but plural, more than two. The Jews could not understand that God was a triunity. They thought it was a term of majesty. No, it was a term that he was relating to us in the Old Testament, even in Psalm chapter 2. Other places in the Old Testament, it talks about the Son. He was always the Son. He became man at the incarnation, but he was always the son. Principle for Israel, there's one God, even if they didn't comprehend there are three persons. We baptize in the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Boy, fundamental truth, simple truth, but fundamental to the Christian life, right? Well, it gets even more personal than that. Because number one, I want you to understand that we're going to give five principles this morning to share with you about the family, but to share with you about national health, about health within the city here, health within your family. It's health in the community. It's about reaching out to people. It's about the health of the family, the health of the church, then our witness in the community, those we come in contact with at a bank or who we shop around, uh, the people we're around all the time. I wear this band to remind me how I'm supposed to act in public for Jesus Christ. It can apply to any age. We walk with God. So what's the cardinal first thing you got to do as a believer in Christ? If you want a strong family or you want a strong testimony, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus said this again in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 38. He made it very clear that this was the absolute important thing in a relationship with God. And then number two, love your neighbor as yourself. That's been changed in the New Testament. The law is slightly different in the New Testament. It's the law of God in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, it's 1 Corinthians 9.21, the law of Christ. Paul said, I'm not under the law, but I'm under the law of Christ. And so we obey the New Testament from, let's say, Romans to Jude, those principles, the whole Word of God is important, but those principles are where those books start with, the law of Christ. Those are the commandments of Christ we follow today. So how are you going to prove your love for God? You're going to be obedient. You're going to love Him the way He loved us sacrificially, agapao or agape love. And it's going to be with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In the New Testament, it says, with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. When the mind and the heart are mentioned together, the heart is the emotions, and the mind is the intellect, and the soul is our very being. It's the immaterial part of man, and it's what gives us life force. And the Spirit of God is the thing that God energizes when we get saved. It, simple truth, and boy, I thought when I got older and read the Word of God for over 53 years, I thought it would get easier. No, it doesn't. I wished it did. This is a hard endurance race that I will run the rest of my life. 
And believe me, I've faltered in my life. I've fallen. I can talk to people about getting out of fellowship, my wife going to church, my kids going to church, and I was called to ministry, and for about four years, I didn't go to church. I watched football, watched basketball, watched the Boston Celtics. Whoa. I, I, and, and you know what? God woke me up, and I got my, right, my life right with the Lord, and it's been, what? 30-some-odd years, 29 years in the church I'm pastoring now. God is faithful. We can have Jonah experiences. We can run away from God. We can just ignore God, but God's not going to let us go. It is wonderful. When you love God deep in your heart, and I, I was more upset with a local church than I was with God, and it was a rough patch in my life. My kids hardly remember it. They don't remember that, their dad that way. But I'm just saying, I understand what it is to have difficult times in life, and to know that this is a race. It's an endurance race. It's a marathon until the end. You know, cross the finish line, and Jesus is the goal, and he's the umpire. And we just run that race, and we give it everything we have. And so many Christians today are in a glide pattern, and they shouldn't be in a glide pattern. They ought to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. It takes might. It takes strength to walk uh, with the Lord. When you look at a book like Zechariah 4, 6, it says, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You can't do it without the spirit of God. I can't even be speaking up here today. I'm kind of a nervous speaker. If I don't depend on the Lord for speaking, I feel like I'm going to fail. You don't stand up here without asking the Lord to guide and direct. I had pizza last night, and I am so dry. I tell you, I love round table. I don't get it in, the, in Bakersfield area. We get Pizza Factory, which is good in our little community, but I'm just telling you, when I come down here, I gorged myself in pizza last night. So I'm a little bit dry. Principle number one, you love God supremely in your life. You love him supremely in your life. And then what does it say? Number two. Verse 6, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, that word for heart is the mind because it's not with the word mind. It's whenever you read the word heart by itself, it means your intellect. You will do what? You will do what I command you, and you'll do it with all your heart. And you'll do it every day. You'll take up your cross and follow Christ. It's an individual thing. It's a man and a woman thing, but then it translates into a family thing. And everybody thinks that Deuteronomy 6 is just about family. It's really about your individual love for God and how it affects your walk and how you're going to affect your children, right? What does it say? Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. Oh, no, you know, we still have Sunday school in our church. And I teach a doctrine class in the morning. I'm in 2 Timothy in the morning at night. I'm in the book of Isaiah. And Wednesday night, I'm in the book of Psalms. <laughs> and I'm just saying, it's a, it's a small country church where I'm a dinosaur, so I'm in the past. But boy, we, we stress the fact that it's not about Sunday school. It's not even about church. So many people say, if I just send my kids to church... Or they go to Sunday school or they go to youth group. Everything's going to be fine. That's a starvation meal. Going to church, even in, in, in the church I'm in, I get most people come in the morning. 
I maybe get 10 people at night. Equivalent here would be like if you had a night service, it would be like 50 people. But in the country, that's the way it is. I have a small Bible study on Wednesday night. Most people go to one service. That's starvation. It is starvation. It's not if you're in the Word of God every day. I tell my people, you need to be in the Word of God. If you just listen to Randy and Romans in Sunday school and you listen to me in church in 2 Timothy, or even if you come at night, if you don't get in the Word of God, you're not going to remember truth. It's, it's going to disappear. You're starving. You're starving as a Christian if you're not in the Word of God. The Jews were so literal on this that God wanted them in Exodus chapter 13, verse 9 and 16, to take phylacteries. Let's read about it. It says, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be in the frontals of your forehead. Bind them. You bind them. When you bind something, it's bound. You bind it. And what does it say? It's a sign. A sign to everybody around you that you love the Lord. And that's specifically true of your children. It says there'll be a sign on your hand. Biblical language, your hand in the Old Testament meant your actions. It will be between the frontals of your eyes. Why? The eyes are the window to the soul, right? When you bind them and you, you place them on your hand and you have them in the frontals of your eyes, it means your focus is on the Word of God. Simple truth. Focus on the Word of God. And if your eyes take it in, your mind is absorbing it, and it's becoming a part of you. The Spirit of God is the teacher. He's the guide, and He's the one that calls all things to our remembrance, right? Back to the idea of the children. You teach them diligently. Why? Because you're centered in the Word of God. Your actions are in the Word of God. Your, your mindset is in the Word of God. Whatever you tell your kids when you sit down, with them and, uh, and all the different things we're going to talk about in verse 7. It's going to become a part of them because they're watching you. Roman Catholics have this idea that if you get a child from one, 1 to 7 and teach them Catholicism, they'll be a Catholic the rest of their lives. I don't agree with that. And, and honestly, I don't agree with Catholicism. Uh, can a Roman Catholic be saved? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean the system is, is nothing more than corrupt if you knew everything about it. And I've got many Roman Catholics that I've known that are, are Christians now that were a part of that system. That's what they believe. You get them indoctrinated into Catholicism, which basically has a biblical foundation but adds a lot of paganism to a lot of things they do, obviously that they'll be a Roman Catholic the rest of their lives. What does that tell us? We need to make sure we ground our children. We need to make sure that we as parents are not just leaving it up to the pastor or Sunday school teacher or youth director or somebody else to raise our kids. We need to raise them. And somebody says, oh, it's devotions. Okay, kids, we're just about ready to go to school. We're going to spend about 15 minutes in the Word of God. And you know what? If we're running out of time, let's go. 
That's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches, and devotions are fine, don't get me wrong, if you do them right. But the Word of God teaches this in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently as parents to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's a 24-hour-a-day deal except for sleep. You take advantage of every opportunity, and you teach them. You don't leave it up to me. You don't leave it up to a Sunday school teacher or youth director or someone else. Even college age, it's up to you as parents. And that's the message of Deuteronomy. But it's about your individual walk with God, isn't it? Your kids see the phylacteries. They actually had them. They had them on their hand, Scripture, and they had them on their forehead. I go into a lot of detail. I'm not going to do that. But I'm just saying the parent has to be focused on the Word of God. Their actions have to conform to the Word of God. And their children see it every day. Our greatest thing was to take our kids to thrifties, go bike riding, go to the park, play. I never knew any of our kids would be in ministry because we never pushed it. We just lived it. Apart from the four years when I wasn't really right, we just lived it. And boy, did I weep a lot when I got right. Uh, I just cried. I was working for Toyota on a ranch, believe it or not. My boss was Roman Catholic, and his wife and I were like brother and sister. A wonderful time in our kids' life. Wonderful experience for me. But boy, I, during that time, he'd see me emotional about getting right with Christ. And uh, I don't know if my boss ever trusted in Christ, but I know his, his, his wife was like my sister. And those, those days mean a lot to me, remembering. But I don't want to repeat them. You learn from your mistakes. You learn from disobedience or be, being blackslidden or whatever you might be. You learn from those experiences. But you learn because you love the Lord. And you really love him deep down inside. And there's no better answer than for parents to live that life in front of their kids, to model it in their actions and in, their, in what they teach and what God has taught them. This is very important to me. So when I look at this, I look at the responsibility I have as a parent still to this day. I am the family priest like Job was. He prayed for his family. And when his family was taken away, he, he got another family. God gave him back everything that Satan had taken away from him. Second principle, number three. This is the one we just talked about, instilling the Word of God into your children, right? And it's a lifestyle, it's sitting, it's walking, it's bedtime, it's lying down, it's rising up, it's all the opportunities you get. And you know what it says in the Word of God? In verse 2, what did it say? To your sons and then your grandsons, that they might fear the Lord. There's verses in Proverbs that talk about the idea of Leaving an inheritance to your children's children, that's what you do. If you have a good name, you're a righteous person, you leave an inheritance for your children's children. But you see how it's an individual walk again? When I originally spoke on this, I said, the Old Testament walk of the believer. And the real idea is it's always been the same. 
It's never changed. The formula is still the same today. And you know, everybody should know it. It shouldn't just be your family. Next principle, principle number four. An individual love for God is displayed publicly, verse 9. And I would really like to throw away my notes. So be careful for me because I'll run you all over the place this morning. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. Doorposts, that sounds familiar. Oh, Exodus chapter 12. When the people are coming out of Egypt, what are they to do? They're to sacrifice a lamb in their household. It can't be partaken of except in that night. You can't partake it of the next day. Salvation is a, a one-time experience. And you know what you do? If you want the death angel to pass over you, put the blood on the doorpost and on the lantel, which makes a perfect cross, by the way. And you stay in that house, and God will judge the firstborn in Egypt, and they will deliver you. Egypt will send you out with spoils because of the ten plagues that they've experienced that almost destroyed the entire land of Egypt and took away all the gods of Egypt at the same time. Oh, the doorposts of the house. Remember how you were saved. Put that on the doorpost. Anybody that goes in the door of your house really should know you're a believer. Maybe that's true of our neighborhoods. Man, we, we take pumpkin bread over to our neighbors every year. We've handed out tracts to our neighbors and everything else. I have a, a banner with Christ on it with the American flag and Christ has been crucified. He's got a crown of thorns on his head and it's been up for a couple of years and the wind took it down and it's old so I got to get a new one. But I want to advertise in my neighborhood to my neighbors that we love Jesus Christ. And you know it's a sad day. When I was a kid I used to see people go to church I don't care. Cars in the 50s, cars were leaving homes on Sunday morning. I hardly see anybody on their way to church. It's just so sad. We, we don't oftentimes realize it because we're in the shelter of the church building. We don't realize how many people do not go to church anymore. So display your Christian faith any way you can. <laughs> I have a shirt I was wearing it yesterday. I, I was tempted to wear it today. And I, I don't know what my son would have thought. He probably would have thought it's great. But it says, don't ester, underestimate an old man who's covered by the blood of Christ who was born in October. That's me. And I wear that shirt around. I wear it around all the time. And then I got another shirt that says, I've been vaccinated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed, beloved. And don't grow old. We don't grow old. I told my congregation, I'm going to burn out. I'm not going to rust out. And I will, I'll burn out. I know you guys were probably praying for me when I had open heart surgery. Man, do I feel good. And God blessed me. I was in good shape before I went in for surgery. And you can't undo in eight days what you had before if you're in good health. I got markers. And they tell me I've got markers. And my kids have markers. I mean, uh, Ruth Ann and I have some markers that we both know. I won't even get into it, but it's, it's interesting what they discovered in Europe about markers that are in your body that tell you that you can have heart disease. We didn't believe it. The Mayo Clinic didn't believe it, and then they discovered it was true. Very interesting. Another subject for another time. But beloved... 
Just be passionate for the Lord. People wear crosses, and many times a day you can just say, does that, what does that cross mean to you? Get in a conversation with them about a cross because it's decorative to so many people, but a lot of people still wear crosses that are Christians. We value this. We value the doorposts. But then it's on the gates. The gates are the outside. People that come in, they might know you're Christian. But those gates symbolize more than the doorposts and the fact that your neighbor's going to know it. They're going to know that you're a believer, that your family's centered in Christ. It, it's awesome. And it, it's about sons and daughters seeing this as well. They, they see it on the gates. They see it on the doorposts. They see it in your life. It's ingrained into them because of the lifestyle you live for Christ. So it's an individual thing. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. I love it because I know our grandkids are saved. There's, there's a question with a few in our family uh, wondering if they know Christ, but the majority of them are saved already. They know Christ as their Savior. And you know what? When they do, they don't realize it, but they're wearing that wreath. And they're wearing that necklace, and people are meant to see the wreath and the necklace. Young people that display their faith, they're going to have an impact. They are going to have an impact on people. And that's what we want. We are lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, Philippians 2.15. We are lights, and this generation is corrupt. We all know it. We've never seen anything like this since covid we are going back to the Canaanite culture of the Old Testament. I often say, we are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. In Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the young boys up to the adults that gathered the door of that house and wanted to have relations with two angels that appeared as men, because that's the way they appeared in the Old Testament. And we entertain angels unawares. They're like strangers. We don't know when we see them because they appear in human form. Wow, the Bible teaches that. But guess what? That's not just what we have problems with today, do we? We have problems with sexual immorality that Sodom didn't even experience. Gender identification, are we, we got to compromise. Oh, the Democrats, they're too liberal. The Republicans, they're radical. They're too, I, I had somebody say to me, we need to meet in the middle. In the middle? How are you going to meet in the middle? You're going to accept abortion? Oh, 15 weeks. What? That child is formed in the womb, and it's formed from the beginning to the end. There's no 15 weeks. That, that's compromise. We got politically, I'll tell you, I, I'm not trying to be political. I, our parties have let us down. But I don't know how a Democrat can be a believer and accept abortion, accept the immorality the Bible condemns from Genesis to Revelation, and say, I'm a Christian. Well, you're a Christian who is either deceived or you're not a Christian. This is, this is the bottom line. This is why we have families, beloved. The family is the strength of the nation. You'll notice when we were reading verse 3, it was about Israel. Oh, Israel, it's about the sons walking, then the other 
the future generations walking with the Lord. That's the strength of a nation. Why is our nation going through such difficult times? And boy, is it going to get worse. Without a Ninevite revival, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in for some hard times. I've warned my kids growing up. I've warned my congregation. I think we ought to be aware. If it doesn't happen in my day, it might happen in our son's day. I don't know. The world is a mess, and they need a Savior. And they're going to choose the wrong one. (laughs) We could go through tribulation before the seven-year tribulation begins. But boy, is the world crying out for somebody to fix their problems. But they're not crying out to Christ. Lastly, we're just thankful to God. We're thankful to Him. Verses 10 through 12 of Deuteronomy 6. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land. He brought, He did it all. Which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Do not forget. Beloved, we've forgotten God. This nation as a whole has forgotten God. John MacArthur feels we're in Romans 1. He's felt that for probably five or six years, maybe more than that. And I'll tell you, I've got to say, we're so, Romans 1, if you read Romans 1, there's a place where you worship the creature rather than the creator. Are we worshiping the creation? We're trying everything to save Mother Earth, right? Sounds good, and I, I'm kind of a Christian environmentalist. But I'm just saying... What we see today is a worship of creation, not of God. Although they knew God, they forgot God. They turned away from God. They became vain in their speculations, it says in the Word of God in Romans 1. So what did God do? He gave them over to depravity. And what was the depravity? We all know what the depravity was. Gross immorality. Women doing with women what's unseemly. Men doing with men what is unseemly. And you say, oh, you're so critical and harsh. I want people to come to know Christ. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Amen? So I want, I want lesbians to come to know Christ. I've seen lesbians come to know Christ. I've seen alcoholics, drug addicts. I've seen everybody, homeless people, you name it. I've seen them come to know Christ. This is not about judging. God will judge. This is about winning people to Christ, knowing that Christ died on the, sin, died on the cross for our sins and that we're saved because we believe in Him. And it's got to be the heart. It just can't be an emotional experience. Uh, so many times going forward or, or raising a hand, it can just be your, we're tugging on people's emotions rather than the Holy Spirit doing the work. We should not forget God. And we won't if we realize the Christian combo. The Christian combo is be not drunk with wine is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, you're filled with the Spirit of God. You're saved and you're filled. You're controlled, the idea. And if you're controlled, you're going to produce certain things. 
you're going to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. And you're also going to sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. You're going to be thankful for all things, and you're going to be submissive one to another. Wow. And where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit of God, but according to Colossians 3.16, this is what it says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Not just a little bit, not just a lot, richly, abundantly dwell within you as an individual with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. One thing you read in the Psalms all the time is about being thankful, singing, praising God from the heart. The principle we started out with is teaching the Word of God, which I know Elisha does. And my other son does, my adopted son, and David does. And I couldn't be prouder of my boys. And my wife couldn't be prouder of them because wives, they're the strength behind us men. That's why if my wife was here, I'd bow. And I tell her that all the time, and I tell men that. Women balance us. They, they, they fill in the areas in our life that are deficient because they're so loving and so motherly-oriented that we need that in our lives as men. They know how, women know how to talk to the point where you look at them and you try and say, I'll say, honey, she won't hear me. I'll say, honey, she won't hear me. The women are having such good fellowship, they could care less about the men. Honey! What do you want? Why? Don't raise your voice to me. You guys are wonderful. You're wonderful. We need you in our lives. And the Word of God teaches that. I'd like you to turn over to 2 Timothy. If you don't have to turn in your Bibles, but I'm sure Elisha might have had this verse, and I've changed things quite a bit. But I'm in 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1. And guess who had an impact on Timothy? It wasn't his Gentile dad. It was grandmother and his mother. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, both Jewish, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God, which was in you through the laying hands of the presbytery in another passage. Paul couldn't have done what he did with Timothy and mentor him if he wasn't first mentored where? At home. The mentoring begins at home. They're watching you. They're watching you. Do you have the Word of God in your actions? Do you have the Word of God in your mind? Do you determine what decisions you're going to make about everything by the Word of God or is it about what you want to do? 
turn back to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. The principle we started out with. A principle that has stayed with me for years. It's a memory verse, but I'll just read it. Joshua 1.8. He tells Joshua three times. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because you know the Word of God. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The book of the law. For us, the New Testament. But the whole Word of God, I've read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. Song of Solomon is an important book about love, and it's a, a marital book about love. But Proverbs is about wisdom. Proverbs is instructing us in wisdom. Where do you get the wisdom from? Where does Solomon get his wisdom from? Not from all the books. You can use the books to benefit you in reading the Word of God, but read the Word of God. Know it. Know it and live by it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. If it comes out of your mouth, it's because you've got it in your mind. You shall meditate on it. Boy, when I worked on a ranch, I could step on road apples. Everybody knows what road apples are. They come from horses, right? You could step on them. They kind of crush. They're firm. But don't go out in the cow pasture where that cow is chewed on that grain and chewed on that grain and kind of then goes to a stomach, a second stomach, and regurgitates it and chews on it and chews on it some more. And you step in and you go, ah! It's everything that cow could get out of that grain, he got out of it, and you've just stepped in it. And it's all over your shoes. And it's nasty, sticky stuff. Why? Because they meditate. We don't spend enough time meditating on the Word of God. We read it quickly, devotionally, and we're gone. We don't even do it in a methodical way of reading maybe one chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, maybe one chapter in the New Testament, three chapters in the Old Testament if you want to read it once a year. We, we just are not as methodical. It's day and night. Meditate on it day and night. So you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will do what? You'll make your way prosperous and you'll have success. I consider myself the most successful man there is. And I have little or nothing. We live from week to week. God has blessed our lives, but I don't have a lot of material things. But boy, in God's eyes, if you walk with God, you will prosper and you will be successful especially in spiritual things. It's the greatest reward I could ever have to have my kids look up to their dad, look up to their mom. And, and we're just imperfect parents. And they were imperfect kids, believe me. I could tell you stories. I could tell And Lisha, Lisha was pretty biblical. In high school, boy, he'd give the gospel, wanted to become a class president. He'd give the gospel to the whole the whole gymnasium and everything. Was he elected? Absolutely not. (laughs) 
But he did it. He lived for God. Started Core 13 on the campus. And man, and my other kids, they were a little bit more secretive, a little bit more rebellious. Our David that you guys have heard speak, our missionary of Papua New Guinea, used to wear his pants really low. And he'd have his room full of incense. And we wondered, hmm, what is that? A uh, little bit of pot. Covered up with a little bit of incense. And then he got his life right with the Lord and walked with God. We're very imperfect people, aren't we? And, you know, you're, you're not at fault for your kids all the time, the way they live. They're going to have to learn the hard way. And most of us learned the hard way, didn't we? Very important truth. I'd like to close this message this morning by saying this is the problem in our nation Amos 8.11 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they, I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. We have a famine in our land. The Laodicean church, one of the seven, and they're overcomers in every church. That's why every denomination has people that are saved, even liberal churches. There's some little old lady sitting in a liberal church saying, I just wish we'd get a better pastor. I've always been a Methodist. I've always been a Presbyterian. I've always been a Lutheran like I was raised. And, and you know, nothing wrong with those denominations, but many of them have departed from the Lord. And so some little old lady that loves Christ is just waiting for the right pastor to come, and she needs to leave. She needs to leave a church that denies the deity of Christ, the inspiration of Scripture, the virgin birth of Christ, the triunity of God, the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. They deny the fundamentals, leave. Don't stay there. And I'm sure Elisha has benefited from churches that have gone woke or politically correct or liberal, and people have come to hear the Word of God. That's what you need to do. You need to go to a place that has the Word of God. I just want to plead with you today. Walk with Jesus. Know His Word. Especially Romans to Jude. Everything else, the I, I got saved reading the Gospels. Uh, man, I love the book of Revelation. I love prophecy from the Old Testament. I love the whole Bible. But if I want to target the commandments of Christ or the law of Christ, it's all contained from Romans to Jude. But I want everybody to read all the Bible, all of it. We ought to know the life of Christ. We need to, we need to understand a lot of Scripture to understand what God has given us. I weep for my nation. I got a man cave. I work out in my garage, and I'm watching old cowboy movies from the 50s, which I think are the best cowboy movies ever made. That, that tells you I'm a dinosaur, right? And I'm weeping. I'm weeping watching cowboy movies. Why? Because I remember the way this country was. And this is not the country I grew up in. And... My parents could have said that as well, but they're not, they didn't see what we're seeing today. We need to get closer and closer to Christ, don't we? The days are dark. We don't know what's coming. It might come in my day. It might come in uh, the, the millennials' days or the Gen Xers' days and all the Xs and Zs and everything they have for describing people today. We don't know. But we know this. Walk with God and you will prosper and you'll have success. Let's close in prayer.